Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. We have a wonderful guest that I'm really excited for you to meet. I'm going to do something, uh, Dr. Rama Labo. I'm going to do something a little unusual. I'm going to have you take the first one minute to tell about yourself. Two minutes. Now that that that's common actually. But then I'm going to take a break and I'm going to play a clip from Tucker Carlson's news broadcast on Friday night where he interviews Dr. Scott Atlas. And that's a four and a half minute clip. So it's a bit long, but it's a spectacular setup to our topic uh, tonight. So Dr. Rima Labo, we're so honored to have you on here. Our good friend, Carla Dean Graves has connected us with you. So would you take just the first minute or two to tell us who you are and about your life? Then we're gonna play this clip from Tucker Carlson. And then we want you to take on this tonight's topic. Thank you so much. Let me say again how honored I am to be here. And thank you, Carla Dean, for connecting us. Um, I am a physician. I was graduated from the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in 1970, which I'm pleased to say, say is still within living memory. Um, and I went to medical school in order to become a psychiatrist because I thought there was something really interesting in talking, making profound changes. Um, while I was in medical school and doing my residency in psychiatry, uh, the onslaught of pharmaceuticals was devouring psychiatry. And since I had learned on my very first day of medical school that every drug in any category works by the same mechanism, which is poisoning enzyme systems, I said, wait a minute, that doesn't help people. I'm not going to do that. I'll do something different. So I practiced medicine, child, adolescent, and adult psychiatry without ever using a pharmaceutical drug. Uh, and then my practice morphed into what I call cataclysmic primary care, where people with every kind of diagnosis who have been told to die, you know, go home and die. There's nothing we could do for you. Live with the pain. There's no cure for your disease, whatever. They started coming to my office from around the world saying, can you help me? And the answer was, I don't know, but we'll try. And in general, the answer turned out to be yes, very profoundly. Well, one of those people was a head of state who shared with me in about 2002 that the great culling was coming. And I said, the what? She said, the culling of the useless eaters, a term I had never heard. And that led me to understand that we were facing a well-prepared, well-orchestrated, magnificently financed global depopulation and enslavement project that had been going on for about a hundred years or more. And my husband, Major General Albert N. Stubblebine III, a true genius uh, in terms of strategic analysis and a true warrior for truth, and I decided to close our practice of medicine and to create the Natural Solutions Foundation, a private NGO, to take on the globalist agenda and stop them from killing and enslaving, killing most of us and enslaving a few of us. And that's what I do. He was assassinated. There have been, since he was murdered, nine serious attempts on my life. And um, <clears throat> they're apparently not good at that yet. Um, and I will not stop until we have defeated the evil. 
And now I think it's time for Tucker Carlson. You know, I, we're going to go to Tucker Carlson. But you, you first of all, <coughs> you impressed me, Claire, back there when you went to a school named Albert Einstein. Um, but you really got my attention. Attempts on your life, Judy. Uh, come on, are you able to come on right now, Judy, and just lead in prayer for Dr. Labo right now? Yeah, <clears throat> yes, thank you. Oh, Father, we just thank you for creating Dr. Labo. Lord, you knew when you created her what you created her for. And Father, we just pray for divine protection around her. We pray for a wall of fire, according to the Old Testament scriptures. Um, about wall of fire protection around her. Father, we thank you for the truth that she is trying to speak. And Lord, we pray her voice will be amplified and that you will, um, that she will know how much you love her and how much um, you value her. And so Lord, we ask that uh, many tonight as they listen to her will continue to pray for her and pray for her. And so that she, her life will, she'll live out all the days that God has planned for her life. And we pray the enemies, the schemes of the enemies that would try and disrupt what she's been called to do, or will be disrupted in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you so much, Judy. And we're going to go right to this Tucker Carlson clip. This is from two nights ago from Friday night is interview with Dr. Scott Atlas. And this sets up our special guest. For tonight's incredible topic before we came on the air i said to the doctor i said what you're talking about tonight impacts the future of the republic whether the republic will stand or not she says it determines whether the the world will stand or not pretty sobering words uh but she'll make the case why that's a true statement now let's watch tucker carlson from friday night Welcome back to a special edition of Tucker Carlson tonight, wherein we consider the growing phenomenon of public lying. So for a couple of years, they told you that lockdowns will save you and the COVID shot will stop transmission. And they told you this not once, not twice, but about a million times. So what happened to the people who told you that now that they've been proven wrong? And sometimes people are wrong in good faith, but sometimes they're caught lying. So the people who were lying are now trying to absolve themselves of their responsibility for the disaster that resulted from their lying. One person who never lied, who told the truth in, fa in the face of ferocious opposition, was a physician called Scott Atlas. He was White House coronavirus advisor in the last administration. He's written a new piece in Newsweek on his experience and the aftermath, and he joins us now. Dr. Atlas, thank you very much for coming on. So I know that this has been a very bewildering experience for you as an actual man of science to see people lie, get caught lying, and not admit they lied. Why do you think it's important now that it's over to correct the record? Well, I think this is very critical because that lying has created a massive loss of trust, and that trust yeah. needs to be there if you're going to follow public health guidance or follow any kind of crisis uh, guidance and believe in experts. I mean, the lies go back from the beginning, in spring of 2020, they were lying about the infection fatality risk being orders of magnitude higher than influenza, that everyone was at high risk, that you couldn't get any protection after having recovered from the infection, that masks stop the spread and even eliminate the virus, that lockdowns are going to work and stop the spread. Even though lockdowns were known for more than 15 years, 
to not work and to be extremely harmful. Then they lied to the public to get people to believe in the lockdowns by making everyone who was against lockdowns villains. And they said that people were choosing money over lives when that was against decades of economic data that showed that when you severe have a severe economic downturn, you kill people, particularly low-income people. And they said that anyone's against lockdowns means you're for letting it rip, the so-called herd immunity strategy, which, right. of course, no one said, no one in the White House ever discussed it. And then to add insult to injury, to make sure you didn't understand the truth, they lied about a consensus by using censorship. The social media, the regular media, use censorship, and that was uh, aided and abetted by people in the agencies, not just in the Biden administration, by the way, in the Trump administration, the yes. people in the agencies colluded, and this was revealed in the Twitter files, as well as people like my own university members colluded with social media to take down truth, including most recently about the vaccine side effects. So now we're sitting here with very little trust, and right when we need transparency, right when we need to trust, we have the WHO pandemic accord being put forward, where we have the Biden administration official, Hamamoto, saying we fully support, and we haven't even seen the, the agreement. We have never even seen the final agreement. That's ludicrous to say something like that. This is the WHO that lied. They, they said China was being transparent. This was at the end of January 2020. They said there was no human-human transmission, like China said. Uh, you know, they said that the masks and lockdowns were the right strategy. They praised China for being the pinnacle of transparency and truth. And in their barbaric lockdowns, imprisoning their own people, they said this is the new standard. That's what the WHO said. Tedros, the director general, who had a history of lying about a cholera outbreak as Ethiopia, yeah. Ethiopia health minister. So right now, we're in a position where we have destroyed truth where we need it. And, uh, you know, the lying has severe harm in public health. They killed people with the lies. Yeah, and they'll continue. People will be going to acupuncturists and using crystals to treat pancreatic cancer because they're so distrustful of doctors after all of this. It's... It's really corrosive, as, as you said. Scott Atlas, who took a lot of crap for telling the truth. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Rima Labo, you just heard something pretty astounding there. Our president is about to sign something that will sign away the sovereignty of the United States. Talk to us. Well, let me start by saying... Uh, a couple of foundational things that I believe and that I'm willing to stake my reputation and indeed my life upon. First of all, we haven't had a pandemic. We've had a propagandemic. Until the jabs were rolled out, there was no increase in deaths anywhere in the world. In fact, in the United States where people were not driving and therefore motor vehicle accidents were not occurring in the same numbers, and where babies were not being babies and children were not being taken to the pediatrician for their routine well baby visits and vaccinations 700 children a week did not die who otherwise die following routine vaccination so we not only didn't have any excess deaths and i've tracked this very carefully and published on this widely. Um, we had an actual decrease 
in the number of deaths in the United States because people were doing less risky things, including vaccination and driving. How very interesting. Also, people had less access to hospitals. And when doctors go on strike anywhere in the world, death rates go down because a very high percentage of the things that doctors do, especially in hospitals, are uh, things that increase mortality, in my view, unnecessarily. And remember, I'm highly prejudiced in this area, uh, and I'm a rara avis because I believe that pharmaceuticals have a place in the surgical suite and the emergency room, and pretty much nowhere else because there are better methods. I flinched when uh, Tucker Carlson uh, looked down his nose at acupuncture. Oh, nonsense. He needs to study the science a bit. Um, moving right along, that's another discussion. Anyway, uh, public health has been used to kill people for a very long time. It is a profession that should be disbanded. Epidemiology is another story. Public health is a handmaiden of public policy because that's where the money is. And public policy is a handmaiden generally of the pharmaceutical industry because that's where the money is. And we're looking at the consequences of that in the vast number of people who have died, not from the pandemic, but from the alleged treatment against and for the supposed pandemic. The numbers are very clear. Vaccines, these vaccines especially, are extremely dangerous. The boosters are even more dangerous and totally unnecessary. Your chances of dying of this or that or the other thing are massively enhanced if you subscribe to the mRNA or DNA uh, vaccine regimen. Don't do that and certainly don't do that for your children. And we can talk about the statistics and I can pull up the charts from various governments and so on, but you're probably familiar with that already. So that's my, my baseline. That's where I start. I question every aspect of the narrative because every aspect of the popularly generated and popularly promulgated narrative is one lie upon another lie, upon another lie, upon another lie. Why would that be happening? Well, to go back to the story that uh, I mentioned, and we'll get to WHO, which I call the World Holocaust Organization. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, I was treating a patient who was a head of state uh, in 2002. She had come to my little office um, for the treatment of something that conventional medicine had been unable to treat. And um, she actually did get successfully treated, but that's not the point. The point is one day she said to me, you know, it's almost time for the great culling to begin. And I said, the what? She said, culling, C-U-L-L. -L. I said, I'm familiar with the word. What are you talking about? She said, the culling of the useless eaters. That was a term that I had never heard at that point. And I said, what's a useless eater? She said, not what, my dear, but who? If you want to make me really angry, use a term of endearment when we don't have an endearing relationship. So I didn't like the my dear part. I said, okay, who's a useless eater? 
She said, those people who are consuming our non-renewable resources. And I said, did it ever occur to you that you're consuming their non-renewable resources? And she said, oh, that's an interesting idea. Well, anyway, and she dismissed it instantly. And I said, so how many of these useless eaters are you planning on culling? And she said, 90%. And I said, 90% of what? And she said, the total population of the planet. And I said to her, now remember, this is my personal experience. If, if anybody told me this as a secondhand or thirdhand experience, I probably wouldn't believe them. But this was a conversation that was put into my personal world. I said, how many, how, how are you going to maintain your enormous fortune? This is one of the wealthiest people in the world. How are you going to maintain your, who didn't pay her bill? The supposed elite never paid their bills. They had to pay cash before my treatment each day. Everybody else, I knew they would pay me. That's another part of the story. Anyway, I said, so how are you going to maintain your enormous wealth? which was generated by selling massive amounts of crap to people, huge numbers of people, if you don't have huge numbers of people to maintain your enormous wealth from. And she said, oh, you really don't understand, my dear. I said, clearly. She said, the mercantile era, which began in the 14th century with the Hanseatic League in Germany, is coming to an end. We are moving to the neo-feudal era. There will be us, the neo-aristocrats at the top, surrounded by our servants and servitors, which by the way, was the first time in my life I ever heard anybody use servitor in a sentence. Uh, surrounded by our servants and servitors and around them, our technicians, and that requires only approximately 10% of the current world population. Everyone else is superfluous. She left cured of her, her physical malady. And I thought, my God, this woman is either crazy as a bed bug, and I missed it because I was looking at the physical issue, or she's given me a vastly important clue. Well, of course, the reality was both. She was a psychopath. She was raised to be a psychopath. And she also gave me a clue that I started following. And over the next uh, year and a half, I would say, I came to understand by reading the documents of what we now call globalists back at the beginning of the turn of the 20th century from the 19th to the 20th, um, they were called Fabian socialists. And they believe, and they have utter conviction in their belief that they have the right to determine who lives, who dies, and under what circumstances. And they have paid for the research to develop the technology to allow them to implement their truly evil plans for depopulation and for complete subjugation of us from the DNA level out globally. They intend to remake our essence as human beings. Our DNA is our past, it is our present and it is our future. They intend to eliminate our capacity to reproduce. They intend to eliminate our capacity to think independently, to move independently, to live independently. And this is all laid out very neatly in 
beautiful, glowing, uh, 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 hopeful terms, which are all jargon. I'll tell you about that in a second in a document called Agenda 21, which was approved by every member, every member nation of the World Holocaust Organization and the United Nations in 1994. And then that was updated to something called Agenda 2030, which is Agenda 21 on steroids, quite recently when, and then that was re-updated again, when the World Economic Forum and the United Nations signed a joint pact to accelerate Agenda 2030. What does that mean? It means that they own everything. You own nothing, and you will be happy because the plan is for you to have absolutely no mobility or independence and to be completely subjugated and become part of the internet of things. That is not my wild insanity, it's their wild insanity. And let us remember that because they're wealthy and because they're empowered and because they have control of vast resources such as the media, it doesn't make them any less crazy or any less evil. They are both crazy and evil and they want you and your family dead. That's the reality. So in 2004, I waltzed into the office that my husband had in, in the medical practice that we ran together. And I said, sweetheart, we have to close the practice. And he said, why? Because you know we made our living that way and we were having a, a joyful experience healing people. And I said, well, our side, the health freedom side, thinks tactically. And after we've lost a battle or we're almost about to lose a battle, we run around and say, oh, this is terrible, this is terrible. But very few people who are thinking strategically are involved in this battle. And if strategic thinkers do not get involved, we have no hope globally. And he said, right, he was a strategic uh, military analyst, a genius uh, at that. I'm, I'm good, but I'm not what he, uh, what he is. And so we closed our practice of medicine. We sold our house so we'd have some walking around money. And we started taking on the globalist agenda, which we now see coming to fruition. So the World Health Organization. Founded in 1945, the United States acceded to the World Health Organization as if it were a treaty with a joint resolution of Congress signed by Harry Truman in which it is specifically articulated that nothing in this treaty, nothing in the, the World Health Organization constitution uh, or compact can force the United States to change any of its laws. Now, ordinarily an international treaty means that the signatories and ratifiers of that treaty, the nations that, that accede to it have to change their laws. That's what a treaty is. But Harry Truman and the Congress said, mm, yeah, maybe not. The World Health Organization, like the United Nations, was set up to totally dominate the world. That was its purpose. They wrap it up in wonderful words. Um, the people who brought it forward wanted a completely um, hegemonic domination of the planet, a new world order, if you will. And they used that terms among them, 
uh, John D. Rockefeller Jr. and his, uh, his uh, lineage. Uh, and these, by the way, John D. Rockefeller Jr. was the man who introduced eugenics to Germany and set up the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute uh, in Munich and Berlin studying eugenics. And what we're looking at now is the modern advanced version of eugenics for plants, for animals, and for us, to which my response is no. So the World Health Organization now decided that we need to have pandemics. And the, one of the first things that they did under the former director general, Margaret Chan, was eliminate the definition of pandemic. A pandemic used to have an epidemiological definition such that it was a highly uh, communicable disease that uh, was uh, very contagious and killed a minimum of 6% of the people infected. Okay, that's a definition. That was the classical epidemiological definition. Today, a pandemic means whatever the director general of the World Holocaust Organization says is a pandemic, like monkeypox. And I would suggest that the K is silent in monkeypox. And we are still in a monkeypox pandemic emergency, a public health emergency of international concern. Oh, how'd that happen? Well, it was a test balloon, a trial balloon, obviously. Um, and so the director general, of the World Health Organization was asked his 15 person scientific advisory panel, do we have a pandemic? And they said, mm, nope, we don't. And he said, yeah, we do. And that's part of the problem. The director general of the World Health Organization is being given global dictatorial power. Now in 1994, the World Health Organization had its members sign onto something called the International Health Regulations or IHR. The International Health Regulations had an advisory capacity as did the World Health Organization. Put that on your mental bulletin board and retain it for a moment. Had an advisory capacity. They could make recommendations. The International Health Regulations were updated and took effect, the new uh, version, the third version, took effect on uh, July 14th, 2007. And they said in a stepwise encroachment on national and personal sovereignty, in the event of a level four pandemic, totally undefined, in the event of a level four pandemic, if the director general of the World Health Organization declares that level four pandemic, all governance globally reverts to the World Health Organization. All governance reverts to the World Health Organization. Hmm. I wrote about that at the time and I said, oh, this is a big problem. No, no, no. And people said to me, you know, you're paranoid. They would never do anything bad. They're the World Health Organization. Well, remember that, that uh, Snow White's stepmother was fair and kind and good, except she was really a wicked stepmother, a wicked witch. Well, WHO is a wicked witch with 
lots of glossy, beautiful makeup. I also refer to it as the singing pig. Um, and I've written a book, by the way, an ebook that I will make available to anyone who wants it called WHO, The Singing Pig, in which I look at what WHO is. It is a wicked organization with a beautiful, kindly, pseudoscientific veneer. I mentioned jargon earlier. What the United Nations and WHO and the other globalist tools do is they take language and they pervert it. Uh, they call bittersweet and sweet bitter. This is something that's mentioned in the Bible as a bad thing to do, if you remember. They call good evil and they call evil good and woe unto them. It, we need to make sure it's not woe unto us. So they'll take a word like sustainability. Now, when I think of sustain sustainability, I think of a blue sky and green fields and cows lowing in the distance and peace and, and beautiful things happening in the world. They don't mean that. They mean you are property. Your DNA is property and you are a slave. You live in a 15 minute city and you go nowhere they tell you not to go and you do nothing they tell you not to do and you think nothing they tell you not to think that's their version of sustainability and they they've taken words that we think have ordinary meanings and they've changed the the referent and so we say uh-huh sustainability sounds good uh-huh equity sounds terrific oh yeah but they have a very specific jargonized meaning that means we are surrendering our personal autonomy, our God-given rights, our state-given rights, our treaty-guaranteed rights, as in the Geneva Convention, and any possibility of personal sovereignty, autonomy, informed consent, and any possibility of national sovereignty. But what is going to take away the national sovereignty is the new set of amendments to the international health regulations, the treaty that everybody is all excited about, the accord, as they like to call it, is a decoy. What's happening this coming May is that the continuation of an amendment process that took place at last year's World Health Assembly, which the World Health Organization runs, which member nations come to, send delegates to and where they rubber stamp what the globalists want. Last year's World Health Assembly approved a set of amendments. Now, Joe Biden, Joe Biden's government submitted 13 of those amendments, 12 were, def were defeated, but a lot of other very bad amendments were adopted. And then they're planning on 307 new amendments this coming um, May. Why does that matter? Well, because those amendments specifically alter the role of the World Health Organization from advisory, remember I said put that on your bulletin board, specifically changes the role of the World Health Organization from an advisory organization to a controlling organization. And every recommendation that they make becomes legally binding if, if your country is a member nation. So my strategic analysis and my tactical 
uh, choices supporting that strategical analysis is that every country in the world has to get out of the World Health Organization and then the, the United Nations. Because the World Health Organization is the, the massive Death Star juggernaut that's rolling over the horizon toward us. And it will kill most of us and enslave from the genetic level outward the rest of us who are permitted to live unless our countries remove themselves from that organization. The control system behind the WHO, of course, is the United Nations. And then there's a bigger control system behind that, which is the International Bank of Settlement. And then there's the people who control all of it behind them. But the only ones that we have access to, and we do have access to them, and we do have the ability to do what I've just said, which most people consider to be insane. Maybe it's insane, but it's accurate anyway. We do have access to with removing our countries from the control of the WHO and the international health regulations. And once that happens, then we are no longer bound by their murderous plans. And those countries that do remove themselves will become a natural uh, interactive trade group, if you will, of mutual support. Now, it's very easy for a country to remove itself from the United Nations or from WHO. It only takes a letter written by the head of state saying, no, nope, we're out of here. And we know that because Sukarno did that uh, when he removed Indonesia with a simple letter. That's how it's done. What's hard is getting the letter written. So how do you get the letter written? It's called barrage. My very favorite law firm, which works internationally, is called Hubbub and Uproar. Now, when Hubbub and Uproar is invoked, when the people of a country get really, really, really upset about something and raise their voices simultaneously and say the three most important words that a, a free person can utter, don't you dare. When they say that, in their millions, guess what happens? Every single time the globalists step back. Oh, they come back around again, but we're smarter and we're better at it. And I have seen this happen repeatedly. So I am going to click the chat and allegedly, hopefully, <clears throat> some resources will show up in the chat. One of which is a website called preventgenocide2030.org. Doctor, let me remind you that um, the chat that you're on is not the ones the public is seeing. So uh, make sure you uh, reiterate uh, verbally because uh, the majority of the people listening right now are not seeing the chat. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing that. So there's a website and I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you. I, I am trying to prevail upon you in every way that I can to go to prevent genocide 2030.org. And there you will find, for instance, a very interesting article about who Tedros is, the man who is being given absolute and total, full, unassailably uh, powerful dictatorial uh, power 
over every person on the planet. He is a confirmed known genocidalist responsible for the deaths of millions of people in Ethiopia. And they didn't have that many to start with when he was in the government there as the Minister of Health. I'm going to break in one more. Tristan, thank you for putting it on the screen for everybody to see. Uh, Tristan, do that one more time and leave it up. If you could, that's preventgenocide2030.org. I think, Tristan, you had it up a moment ago. If you could put it so that wonderful. I was so surprised to see it. Now, what's important about that site? The information there is very useful. We have memes. We have music. We have many things that are important, but what's really important is what's inside the blue button. Take action, click to send your emails. So if you're in the United States, Canada, the UK, uh, and, and uh, uh, very rapidly, many other countries, what you can do is use what I call your freedom mouse to send emails saying no digital IDs, no uh, uh, no approval of the IHR amendments, et cetera. And these, these are all very well-researched uh, and referenced uh, letters. And tell your elected official who is the gatekeeper for your country's membership in these murderous organizations that you want out. And let me be clear, one email is meaningless. 10 e emails are meaningless, 100 emails are meaningless, a million emails are not meaningless. In Canada, every person who takes our action items there, and we have it in French as well, um, every person sends 435 emails to every member of the Parliament of Canada. And when every member of the Parliament of Canada or every member of the Congress of the United States is receiving tens and tens and hundreds of thousands and millions of email, all of which are saying the same thing, get me out, get me out, or you will be committing treason against the constitution or the articles of confederation or what you know, whatever that country's uh, structure happens to be. Well then, what happens is, they begin listening and they act. How do I know this? In 2009, when the Fraud and Death Administration of the United States, actually the head of Health and Human Services, Kathleen Sebelius, announced to Congress on September 15th of 2009, announced to Congress that FDA had fully funded a mandatory vaccination program for the fraudulent swine flu uh, vaccine and every man, woman, and child in the country would be vaccinated, quote, starting with those who want it. And when she announced that a certain amount of squalene would be added as an adjuvant, I thought, why is she specifying the amount of squalene? And I went researching. And what I discovered was that the United States government holds two patents, one for that particular amount of squalene to be injected, to cause irreversible immune-mediated male sterility, and the other for that particular amount of squalene to be injected to cause irreversible immune-mediated female infertility. And we told people about that. And we said, click here, use your freedom mouse, click here on this action item and tell the US government that you will not participate in this extermination program, in this reproductive holocaust. And 
in 11 days, three and a half million people each sent 28 letters with a single click. And Kathleen Sebelius announced, ooh, I guess we won't do that. And the mandatory Holocaust was ended. Now, they had a little problem because OSHA said that those vaccines were too toxic, too much mercury, too much other contaminants to dump into the, the sink or burn or deal with in other ways. So they sent all of those vaccines to the needy children in Africa. They were sterilizants and they were intended mm -hmm. to end reproductive capacity. That's part of the plan. And that's what the current vaccines are doing. You know that, you know about the, the miscarriages and the, the fetal wastage and so on and so on. That's part of the plan. And if we acquiesce, and if we say, well, it's all too big for my little head. Oh, I don't know what to do. What can I do? We're saying, please slaughter me. Control me, slaughter, slaughter me, own me. And the answer is, if we are not for ourselves, who will be? If not now, when? And that's my message to you. We have a mechanism to share with our fellows, with every member of your church, with your family, with everyone you can possibly reach, saying this cannot happen. And here is a mechanism to use it. And if somebody else comes up with another mechanism, great. More mechanisms are better. But we have this mechanism, and there is no limit to the amount of pressure that we can legally, lawfully, and nonviolently place upon these gatekeepers saying, no, don't you dare, because sovereignty will be surrendered completely when these amendments are adopted as the G20 leaders signed a declaration on November 21st in Bali saying they want to have adopted and we cannot allow that to happen. Now, one more thing. Last year, amendments were adopted to the international health regulations. Oh, by the way, Congress is not relevant here. We're already members of the World Health Organization. We're already adherence to the international health regulations. This doesn't have anything to do with a treaty. This has to do with an end run around treaty law to make sure that every member nation will be controlled by the World Health Organization as it becomes a control organization rather than an advisory organization. So, Amendments were adopted and we have until November to say, no, the United States doesn't accept these amendments. And if we don't do that, then we've accepted those amendments. If we stay inside the World Health Organization and the international health regulations, we've accepted that too. And the consequence is not just bad administration, which is the history of the World Health Organization, as you'll see if you look at the singing pig, the consequence of being inside the World Health Organization is a Holocaust. We are now in a Holocaust caused by the jabs, intentionally caused by the jabs and everything else that's gone along with this intentional iatrogenic Holocaust, which I call an iatrogenocide, a doctor-induced Holocaust. If we allow it to continue with knowledge, then we have forfeited our right 
to virtue, it seems to me. We have to stop this. These are, these are our responsibilities. We live in this time. We must take these actions. And this is the best way I know how to do it. And thank you. Remarkable. I praise God for you. <clears throat> I, I want to ask a few questions here. Uh, Congress, back up and explain to me. I thought you said this is not an appeal to Congress a moment ago. Is that what you is that what you well, said? Or me, thank you. Thank you very much. Let me clarify. Congress's advice and consent is not necessary in terms of the IHR amendments because this is not a treaty. So we're not looking for Congress to say, well, we're not going to ratify that treaty because it's not a treaty. The treaty is a decoy. The treaty is next year. The treaty is down the road. The treaty is administrative support for the IHR, International Health Regulation Amendments. What I'm asking people to do is to bombard the legislators who sit in the gatekeeping position right now and who can create a joint uh, a joint resolution of Congress in the United States, for example, and get us out of the World Health Organization and get us out of the United Nations. By the way, in 1969, there was a treaty on treaties held in Vienna. It's referred to as the Vienna Treaty. And what it says is, how do you break a treaty? What's the lawful way under international law for countries to break a treaty? Well, the answer is, if a treaty is signed and both sides agree to a set of uh, conditions, but one side materially changes what those conditions are, then the other side is no longer bound by the treaty. Well, we entered into the World Health Organization Treaty in 1948 with an advisory body that was supposed to help us deal with public health and, and uh, uh, make things better. And what they've done now is change it so that they eat us and they destroy us. That's kind of materially changing the treaty. We're not bound by it any longer. And the issue is we have to get that letter written in the United States, in Canada, in every country that we can help to pull out of the massive destructive machine that is coming over the horizon to destroy us with One Health, with uh, uh, the entire Agenda 2030 program. And oh, by the way, are you aware, and I can make available the WHO document that says this, that in addition to zero exemptions for every vaccine that exists, in other words, every man, woman, and the child will receive and child on the planet is to receive every vaccine that exists. In addition to that, they plan for the introduction of 500 new vaccines, mRNA technology, 500 new vaccines by the year 2030 that every man, woman, and child on the planet will be forced to take. Look at the damage done by one set of vaccines for allegedly for COVID-19 and multiply that by 500 and ask how you're going to survive or your children. And the answer is you're not, not if you allow it to happen. I want to repeat back to you to make sure I understand. Uh, ordinarily, we, th we, we obviously think in, in treaties, they have to be approved by the Senate. 
They've done an in run around this. They've called it an accord, not a treaty. Even though it is a treaty, they're calling it a non-treaty. So that way our Senate doesn't have to approve it. Now, let me back you up. The treaty, the accord would have to be approved by the Senate. That's true. But the treaty, the accord is not the issue. It's the decoy. The real issue is that we're already inside the WHO. We're already inside the international health regulations and they are changing those to go from advisory to mandatory. And they will mandate control of every single aspect of society, of the economy, of communication, of surveillance, and it is a deep surveillance system of travel, of uh, personal health status. You will be forced to take every treatment that they want you to treat. I've just talked a little about the vaccines and that's under the international health regulations. Congress needs to get us out of it, but Congress has already put us into it. Do you see the distinction? The accord or the treaty is basically going to set up the administrative pieces of this totalitarian reality that we're being sucked into. So there are two roles for Congress. One is approval of a treaty or rejection of a treaty, but that's down the road and really quite irrelevant. The other is specifically get me out of here now. And that's why the pressure needs to be on Congress or on parliament if you're in another country to specifically withdraw the country that you live in from the World Health Organization and from the international health regulations. That's category one. Category two is the decoy down the road, the accord, the pandemic preparedness treaty. And oh, by the way, let me say in terms of pandemics, think about it for a moment. Modern functioning societies with hygiene, sanitation and nutrition don't have pandemics. The only reason you have a real pandemic is either iatrogenicide, as we have now with these shots, or because somebody wants the system to fail, like maybe the people who make money from the system failing. Modern <coughs> societies don't have pandemics. We didn't have a pandemic, we had a propagandemic, and then we had a Holocaust Cause at, we began the process of a Holocaust caused by the jabs. Have I, uh, Jim? Have I made the distinction clear between yes, the things I, that I, Congress I can do? So, uh, it, 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 we, we need Congress to tell the president to get us out. The president can sign a letter and get us out from what you yes. said. Or, or Congress can, in the United States, Congress can create a joint resolution. If the president fails to sign that letter, they can override it with a two-thirds majority, as they could any other bill. Oh, very interesting. Okay. That's a whole nother, more like a standard bill at this yeah. point. So we would need two-thirds of Congress, the House and the Senate, both the House and the Senate. Yes. Uh, which would be uh, no small task to get, without a doubt, because- Well, uh, it's a, only a life and death matter, so it's not really worth putting a lot of energy into. <laughs> Uh, Donald Trump was by nature an anti-globalist. Uh, Joe Biden is quite another individual. But and I must say, I must say, for, forgive me for interrupting you. Donald Trump was the most pro-vaccine president we've ever had. Whatever else you want to say about Donald Trump, it's not the 
the issue that we're discussing at this point. And without uh, his insistence on Operation Warp Speed, we would not be already dying from what's been forced into us. Yeah, I don't I don't argue with that, that at all. I, I think in terms of it'd be very, very interesting to me to see where Donald Trump, were he president now, where he'd be on the issue of, of many of these things we've talked about. But uh, where we are now is we, we contacting uh, uh, Congress and getting Congress by a two thirds vote to remove us or, or or if we have a president who'd be willing to write a letter to remove us from the membership that alone would have would do it. If we had a strong congressional uh, pressure, even a president like Biden, as globalistically controlled as he is, would be forced to step back and okay. do their bidding. That's the nature of politics. It's a numbers game. They've got the money, we've got the people. Ned Marmon, uh, what question do you have for the doctor? Well, thank you, doctor. That was enlightening to say the least. And uh, I really appreciate your, uh, you know, just your, your sharing all that information. My question is, in your view, are there any nations or states, as far as the United States goes, uh, or leaders either in office or on the horizon that you see beginning to stand against this agenda? or at least becoming uh, bufferings, uh, buffers against it? Yes, and the question is whether their buffering can stand the buffeting that they're going to, uh, their, the buffering that they're going to receive. And the further question is um, whether it's going to spread uh, to other states. For example, uh, I believe it's Montana, is uh, considering a law to make it a um, an illegal act to use any mRNA vaccine on any animal or human. That's a really, really good step. We know about Florida and uh, Dr. Lapido, uh, the Surgeon General of the state of Florida, and Ron DeSantos saying, oh, I, I want a grand jury looking at the lies that Pfizer has told to the people. Yes, that's really important. It was, it was Florida that first said, wait a minute, we need to know how many replication cycles have been used in each PCR that comes back positive, each PCR test that comes back positive. What does that mean exactly? That was the first place that that's happened. And there are um, some other pieces of legislation. I meet six days a week with uh, people focused on the same thing from around the world in a Zoom meeting. And uh, two of the people involved are deeply, deeply uh, enmeshed in a study of the all of the legislation that's being proposed in every state in the United States. Um, I really don't want to restart my computer now. It just asked me to. Um, and so uh, there, there are state initiatives um, and they, they're really, really important. Now, at Prevent Genocide 2030, we have an action level that goes directly to the state people. For example, it turns out that the digital ID, the health certificate, the total control of everything that, that you might ever want to do or buy, the social Chinese 
the, the Chinese uh, social credit system, that all will happen if it's allowed to happen under the digital ID. And that's a state function according to the Constitution of the United States. The federal government has no authority to deal with health matters, but the states do. And so if you go to Prevent Genocide 2030, you'll find state actions where you can send, that's, I can't take that call, where you can send um, uh, emails to every legislator in the state and to your governor and to the commissioner of health saying, don't you dare. And of course, that's all uh, laid out in terms of, of uh, verified, uh, accurate information. And we ask people to do that, to tell states not to do it. In Alberta, Canada, and in Saskatchewan, the prime ministers of, uh, of those uh, provinces have said, no, there will be no digital ID here, uh-uh, because it's a state function. So, and, and that varies by country. Um, in terms of countries ready to get out, uh, not yet, but it only takes a very small minority of the entire population to bring about profound social change. On, on the timing, and Ned, you have another question? Um, not quite on, on subject. Well, I guess sort of, let me, let me just, just toss this out there. Um, in light of all the, I mean, obviously you're well aware, doctor. I mean, our food and sourcing is very problematic. Um, the people turn to pharmaceuticals day and night. At large, I think in this propagandamic, which I believe is a great descriptive of it, we found that a lot of people who were suffering those were just very unhealthy. As soon as something hit their system they couldn't handle, it was a problem. I guess as, as from just a practical daily life matter, if say you were suddenly the personal doctor to the average American at large, what are like maybe three changes you would say, do this and it will have a profound effect on your health, your immunity, and your resiliency to everything you're being exposed to on a, on a daily basis. I'm just curious uh, as to what you would say to that. Do I look like a 79-year-old person? Would have never guessed it. I am. I'm a 79-year-old person. I have no medical conditions whatsoever except possible chronic insanity. That's a matter of opinion. Why? How do I do that? If it isn't certified organic or biodynamic, I don't eat it. End of discussion. I will not put the chemicals and the poisons into my system that are in all of the other foods. I simply will not eat it. I suppose if I were starving, I might, but at the moment I'm not. Um, I have a very serious and uh, carefully thought through nutritional supplement regimen that I take on a daily basis um, and have for my basically entire adult life. Um, I understand the value of emotional health, um, music, art, dance, love, spirituality are nourishing in a way that is not given much credence, but we are human beings 
And as human beings, we seek and crave connection with things outside ourselves, also connection with other human beings. And we have been isolated from other human beings in, in very, very um, intentionally destructive ways. And so human beings are enormously important. I mentioned earlier, just apropos of something totally different, I do improvisation. I do that because it gives me joy and joy is a regulator of the immune system. Joy is a regulator of the immune system and so is love. And these are, these are not new ideas, let your food be your medicine. I mean, that was said quite a long time ago by people in other cultures thousands of years ago. It's still true, but if your food is your poison, just because it's easy, convenient, or cheaper, then you're asking to be ill. We have chronic disease in this country, in children, in adults, for horrendously slothful reasons. Is it harder to just eat a clean diet? Yeah, it is. Is Well, is, is cancer easy to have? Is heart disease easy to have? No. So where do you wanna put the effort? In the prevention or in the suffering? It's a choice. Doctor, can, we, can we have you come back on and uh, do a whole session on just what you've covered in the last three minutes? <laughs> I'd be delighted to. Okay, I'm gonna go back to uh, the issue of, of the timing. The timing on this, if I understand, we really are in a short fuse. Bali, the G20 comes together at Bali, is that correct, in November? They did. No, no, it, they did this past November. And if you go to preventgenocide2030.org, uh, one of the documents there, and we have uh, one of the important things that I'm telling you is that everything that I'm saying is abundantly documented. This is not imagining. This is not misinterpretation. This is documented reality, as awful as it is. One of the things that's there is the declaration that appeared within uh, a very, very short time on the White House website after Biden signed the declaration that all of the leaders signed at the G20 uh, that was held this past November in Bali. That, that declaration was signed on November 21st. It is the scariest, most depressing document I have ever read in my entire life, including my husband's death certificate, because that was only one man. A brilliant, beautiful, glorious, and wonderful man, but just one. This is for the death of freedom, independence, autonomy, personal and national sovereignty of the whole world. Read it. It's horrifying. And then be inspired to act by it. That was last November 21st in Bali. You should go ahead. Yeah, I just wanna say, I really appreciate you um, defining the WHO as the World Holocaust Organization. Because when the shots came out a few years ago, my precious Holocaust survivor friends who I worked with for years, most of them in their um, late 80s and 90s, of course, they all got the vaccine because they wanted to help save lives. And they all died within a few weeks or a few months and Jim and I, we were going to memorial after funeral after memorial. 
And I said, they survived Hitler, they survived everything. And they came here and they had us had um, help um, be resourceful in the community and share and warn and everything. And then this took them out and they all like died suddenly in their sleep or something. And they all had gotten it. And so I just also know that in um, a few weeks on Yom HaShoah, I'll be going to Yad Vashem. I was invited to come and it is the 80th anniversary of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. This, we need an uprising against Holocaust, against Shoah, against the plan um, murder of, of God's precious people everywhere. And so it just came to my mind how significant this timing is. April 7th and 17th and 18th in Jerusalem, the prime minister, the president, the rabbis, the military, the whole Congress, everyone comes and honors the 6 million Jews who were murdered in the Holocaust and say never again. Yet we are hearing of a Holocaust of, of God's people and all the nations and the entire world. And this is the time to really speak up, to resist and to do whatever we can and say never again. Never again, it is happening now. Children who are jabbed with COVID-19 jabs are 151 times more likely to die than unjabbed children, according to the Office of National Statistics of the United Kingdom. 151 times more likely to die, not of COVID, just to die. This is a slaughter. This is a Holocaust. This must not happen. Everyone you know must simply stop taking these deadly vaccines, whether they're vaccines or jabs or non-vaccines, doesn't matter. They're death implements. They are death implements and they are designed to kill 100% of the animals used in the, uh, the preclinical, pre-human trials with the mRNA technology died. 100% of the animals died. That's why this technology is so important to these people. They are convinced that they have the right to slaughter. They are, they are murderers. And I don't care if they have private jets, what difference does it make? They are murderers and we must stop it. It is our Holocaust that they are perpetrating. The, the sudden adult death syndrome, what do you think that is? That is the Holocaust. The children who are dying, the athletes who are dying, the people whose bodies are eating themselves up because of, of the, the immune reaction to these deadly, deadly communicable vaccines because unvaccinated people are receiving the, the badness of these vaccines. They were designed by DARPA the, the uh, US government research agency in the Department of Defense to be communicable. And so people who have been vaccinated are dangerous to those who have not been vaccinated and their blood is contaminated. Oh, this woman is crazy. No, this woman looks at data mm -hmm. and wherever it leads, I go there. This we were, is the Holocaust. And we, were in, we were in um, a country three weeks ago and the, a woman cardiologist, she had her, her own clinic and her own staff and she never got 
the shot because she knew what it was. But she says, all I do now is treat people who are damaged from this. All my clients coming with heart ailments are, are, are suffering from the effects of this. And she said, and when a person dies and we do the autopsy, it is a mess inside. She said, we can't believe what we're seeing inside their body of what has happened and transpired to their organs through this shot. And of course they, they die. And she's, she said, it, it's just terrible. Can so, you put me in touch? Well, first of all, what country is this in where they are doing? I'll, I'll, I'll on put air. you in touch with her. Yeah, Please. we won't say on air, but yeah. we'll connect you privately with directly yeah. with her. Please. Oh, and, yeah. and another thing, um, uh, she showed me on her cell phone that she could look and go to an app and it shows her the vicinity of every person nearby who had had the shot, that there was a technology that they were able to be traced physically by something had been implanted into them um, mechanically or, or technology-wise, that her cell phone was able to pick up. It didn't have their name. They had a number according to the shot they had been given. So they were already tracking all the citizens. Absolutely. Only the citizens who had the shot. They weren't tracking her because she never had it. So she didn't have the tracking and device implemented into her. Her phone is tracking her. her oh, well, yeah. Okay, well, I'll share that with you yeah. too. It was like, what? Uh, doctor, I misunderstood you a moment ago on the on the November date. I know we, we have to act and we have to act quickly. It's, this is highly urgent. When, do, uh, what? just to give me a sense of timing, when do we pass the point of no return? In other words, we got to contact Congress. We got to contact them now. What kind of a timeline are we on right now? I wish, I wish I could make this a simple answer, Jim, but it's a little bit complicated. Amendments were adopted at the May 2022 World Health Assembly. Those amendments will become law in every country in the world that does not reject them specifically by November of 2023, okay? Now, that's one set of issues. If the country is no longer a member state of WHO and no longer a member state of the, a participating state in the international health regulations, that's moved. So that's one deadline, November this year for the previously adopted very bad amendments to the international health regulations. Coming up at the end of May is another set of regular of, of amendments that are slated to be adopted, which were negotiated in secret with relevant stakeholders. And that's not you, and that's not me. That's the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which was originally founded, I will remind you, as the Bill and Melinda Gates Institute for population reduction. Then they changed the name. And that's Gavi and that's Ethiopian Airlines, interestingly enough, and the other uh, uh, public-private partnerships and all the, the people who are making the decisions about what should happen to you and your genes and your life and your children. Um, they were secretly negotiated without any public input whatsoever. Then at this upcoming uh, World Health Assembly in May, 
to which you are not invited, you can't go, they will adopt or not adopt the 307 really bad regulations. One of the things that they do, or amendments to the regulations, one of the things that the amendments do is strike the words human dignity and rights because Article three of the International Health Regulations has always said, everything that we do has to be done with respect to uh, the dignity and human rights of all people. But they're taking that out and they're replacing it with the strange concept of equity. Everything has to be done with relationship to equity. Nobody knows what that means, but it isn't good. Anyway, the so we have to make sure that those amendments are not implemented in this country or any other country. And the way to do that is to get out of WHO. And then we can get out of the United Nations to get out of WHO and to specifically reject any and all international health regulations. But don't we need to share information about pandemics? What pandemic? It's a scandemic, it's a propagandemic, it's nonsense. So no, we don't actually, what we need is collaboration, not central dictatorship. And the director general of the World Health Organization becomes the unchallengeable global dictator of every aspect of life, if we allow it. You are a superb communicator even Thank though you're you. bear, you're bearing uh, difficult news for us, it's news we need to hear. And so I want you to summarize in, in three sentences or less the action call. Once again, repeat what you want people to do now. I was a bit encouraged by something you said that even states, individual states, you mentioned Montana, said individual mm -hmm. states can take action. That seems a little more manageable for a lot of people. But tell us one more time what you want to ask them to do specifically so they can do this tonight, tomorrow, these next few days, and get as many of their friends as possible. I'll be sending this link of you to as many people as we possibly can, a link of this video. So tell them one more time what you want them to do. Thank you. International states in the United States, in Canada, in, in or countries organized in a similar way, have power until the sovereignty of their national structure is lost. So right now, states have quite a lot of authority in terms of the international, uh, in terms of the digital um, uh, vaccine passports. However, what I want you to do, and what I, I can't stress enough the importance of your doing, is go to preventgenocide2030.org, read whatever is interesting to you, but take the actions there, take the actions there and then take the link and share that with everyone you can reach and say, this is utterly essential for your life, your future, your family, your children, your society, your sovereignty and your personal informed consent. This is the best way that I know to get us out of this murderous organization we also need to do research to find out how to undo the damage that the jabs have done. And that's urgently important. But if they control us, they want us dead anyway. 
So we won't have a chance to do that. This is first priority, preventgenocide2030.org, take actions. If you live in a country where your country's um, uh, membership is not yet represented by an action item, reach out to me. There's a contact page and we'll make it happen. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.